0: Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 10, verse
1: 11 to 13. So we're going to start there and then we'll jump ahead to Numbers chapter 11, starting verse 1. All right, before we, re- we read, um, allow me to pray. Father, as we uh, direct our attention to your word now, uh, still our hearts and minds, help us to acknowledge the significance of uh, these words and words you have decreed. And we thank you so much for this pocket of time where we get to be still and we pray that uh, this wouldn't just be an intellectual experience, but um, this would cut deep to uh be something personal for each and every one of us. You know what we need, so we ask that you would give us what uh, what we need here now. Amen. Amen. All right. Starting in Numbers uh, chapter ten, verse eleven. On the twentieth day of the second month of the second year, the cloud lifted from above the tap- tabernacle of the covenant law. Then the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai and traveled from place to place until the cloud came to rest in the desert of Paran. They set out this first time at the Lord's command through Moses. Going ahead to Numbers chapter 11, starting verse 1. Now, the people complained about their hardships in in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and fire and the fire died down. So that place was called Tibera because fire from the Lord had burned among them. The rubble with them began to crave other food and again the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions and garlic. But now we have lost their appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves and it tasted something like something made with olive oil. When the Jews settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that... You put the burden of all these people on me. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, Please go ahead and kill me if I have found favour in your eyes. Do not let me face my own ruin. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, 10 or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot and you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses, is the the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. However, two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Well, you've had
0: uh, muck-up Monday and your team's also thrown in a trip to Bali, perhaps to Arizona. You've digested your Christmas meal, but the long preparation awaits, training for the first round, until finally the first week of the season is with us and Melbourne sighs a collective groan or cheer, as the case may be. Game day has arrived. We'll see if all that preparation over the summer pays off. Well, the people of God have been camped at Sinai since Exodus 19. That's about, I think, 59 chapters. They've been waiting to move on towards the promised land, waiting for the big move, waiting for the beginning of that great journey into the promised land. And now finally, finally in Numbers chapter 10, the people set out. Now we're going to see if all the training over the summer really pays off, whether they had learned the lessons of leadership that the Lord had been trying to teach them. And? If we're prepared to learn the lessons of leadership that the Lord is trying to teach us as well. But no sooner have they decamped, no sooner have they departed Sinai, we read in chapter 11 verse 1, the people complained. They complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord and when he heard them, his anger was aroused they complained about the evils literally that they'd been that they'd experienced they were responding with ingratitude so the lord sends a fire and it burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp when the people cried out to moses in verse 2 he prayed to the lord as good prophets should do as they should intercede on behalf of the people And the fire died down. We don't learn that anyone was hurt. So that place was called Taborah because fire from the Lord had burnt among them there. But they're complaining. We don't know what it's about yet. It's just complaining against the evils. Perhaps we learn a little bit more in verse 4. The rabble with them, that probably means the non-Hebrews who have journeyed with them out of Egypt, the rabble with them began to crave other food and again the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic, but now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. They were not hungry. The Lord had been providing manna for them since the early chapters of the book of Exodus. No, their their problem was variety. They wanted just some different foods to taste. As I was preparing this last night, I picked up my phone and scrolled through my feed and I read that Qantas Is updating their menu on both domestic and international flights because there's been great demand by Australians for more variety, more choice, more vegetarian options, which is actually different from here because in this chapter at least (laughs) it wasn't the vegetarian options they were asking for, they were asking for more meat. Of course the complaint is exaggerated, they're deliberately turning up the volume on things that aren't actually true. In verse 6, they said we have nothing to look at by, other than this manna. Of course, they're not just looking at the manna, they're actually eating it. They're complaining that they see the same thing. And we learn in the next few verses that manna actually was sweet. It could be ground or baked or boiled, we read in verses seven to nine, it actually provided lots of variety. They just didn't want to hear it. They'd been brought out of Egypt. They were on their way to the Promised Land. The Lord had worked out how he would dwell with them. They could live in his presence and all they could say was, you know what, I prefer garlic. It's pathetic. They're thinking of the onions, the leeks and the garlics. They don't seem to be remembering that in Egypt they'd been slaves and oppressed and refused their freedom. They're just thinking of the garlic. And as I sat at my desk, I shook my head at those ungrateful Hebrews Until I scroll back over my yesterday and thought of the number of times I'd been ungrateful and complained, though I am massively blessed. Not least in the food God gives us to eat every day. We have the most magnificent diet. Though, of course, for Australians we've turned it into an idol. A friend of mine, Michael Colley, who now works for Sparklit, was for the longest time with his family missionaries in Argentina. And they would come back home on home leave every three years and their reflection on St Jude's or on Melbourne or on Australia was that every time they came home, food was more and more an idol. It wasn't just to have enough food on the table. We had to have TV shows about it. And cookbooks that were glossy, that were published in relation to the TV shows. And we couldn't do any event at church unless we offered food as well. Where they went to church in Argentina was in a slum and most people didn't have much to eat at all. So after church they provided a meagre meal and people were so thankful (laughs) for what they were receiving. We grumble and yet we're amongst the most privileged people who've ever lived. We eat beautifully and we should be thankful. Of course, they're wanting meat to eat, though they had flocks and herds. The flocks and herds had travelled with them out of Egypt as well. So the Lord says, okay, I'll give them enough meat. I'll give them so much meat that they begin to vomit. I'll give them what they want and see if that is what they really want in the end. Sometimes <laughs> the Lord gives us what we ask for. Be careful what you ask the Lord for. We can be given great things but never learn to be satisfied. I love uh, San Pellegrino mineral water. It's Kind of better than the rest, I reckon, but the problem is the reason why it 's so good is it has this massively high salt content, much higher than the all the no name brands in the supermarket. Of course, I drink the San Pellegrino and i don 't relieve my thirst. I actually just get thirstier the more I drink indeed, in this passage after our reading at the end of chapter eleven. Uh, God gives a plague to the people and they die because of their inordinate cravings. Be careful, brothers and sisters, what you ask for, that you ask for it in line with the Lord's will. Paul reminds us of this lesson in Romans 1, 22 to 25. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. How on earth can you worship something like that? It's just so foolish. Therefore, we read in verse 24: God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the grading of the degrading of their bodies. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised, God gave them over. He gave them what they wanted. Unfortunately, in Numbers and in Romans, (coughs) what the people wanted wasn't to celebrate the presence of the Lord himself. So what does Moses do? He just prayed that the fire would passed them by and the Lord answered his prayer in verse 2. We read in verse 10 forward that Moses began to grumble as well. It wasn't so much that he was disappointed in them for asking something of him. He was disappointed himself in the Lord because the Lord had given him such a hard job. In verses 10 to 15, I think about 10 or 12 times, Moses says, I, 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 me, me, me. He's totally focused on his own needs. Go to the suki corner, Moses, from verse 10. Moses heard the, the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled Not so much about their complaint. Verse 11, he asked, Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant, me? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on earth to their ancestors? Actually, Moses' ancestors as well, right? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat, they say. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden's too heavy. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me now. If I found favor in your eyes and don't let my face, don't let me face my own ruin. Well, you might say that Moses is in a bit of a sooky mood, but it is true that he felt the pressure of his leadership, the Lord's expectations of him and the people's expectations as well. Perhaps we should cut Moses some slack. Leadership is difficult. Facing complaints and compliance and complexity, your pastor has to deal with finances and Christian education and care programs, admin, budgets, buildings, emergencies. The task of a minister is so varied and complex. I remember when I was first in a, as a curate in St. John's Heidelberg Uh, Not realising that my job description had me putting out the bins each week until my boss rebuked me for that was part of what he wanted me to do. I think trying to teach me a lesson. Leadership is hard. Leadership is complex. Leadership involves lots of burdens and pressures. Just ask your pastor about how he or she feels. So... We can be so thankful today that at college, for the years you're here, you're not just hearing lectures or sermons for that matter. When you're here at college, you can develop peer support networks, ministry friendships to make your later ministry that much less lonely, that much less Demanding because you have folk, friends in whom you can place your trust and share your burdens. There's so much more that's going on in college above and beyond getting lectures. Well, Moses is burdened and he's complained to the Lord. The Lord doesn't strike him down. Others complained and received a worse hand, though we do know in the end that Moses does not enter the promised land. How does the Lord answer Moses' prayer? Well, he says in verse 16, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders. Make them come to the tender meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there. I will take some of the power of the Spirit that's on you and put it on them. They will share the burden so that you will not have to carry it alone. What does the Lord do? He gives helpers. He gives colleagues. He gives elders that Moses wouldn't be alone in his leadership responsibilities. He gives grace and establishes a plurality of eldership. God doesn't want to kill Moses, even though Moses had asked to be killed. No, God multiplies the ministers for the next phase of their journey into the promised land. Each stage of the journey, there are new leadership challenges. This is a particularly difficult one. There are 70 men who gather at the tent of meeting and God takes a dollop of the spirit from Moses and gives that dollop to those 70 to show that they had authority now. It wasn't, the prophesying wasn't a permanent gift, it was just a temporary gift, but that prophesying, that gift of speech, whether ecstatic or not, was somehow a validation of their new authority to help Moses. Moses could take a deep breath. He now had a team to work with. It's kind of easy to understand, right? Working with others is a help, an encouragement. If you go into the Victorian Parliament... In the tiled floor, in the great foyer, you'll read these words from Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. Where no counsel is, the people perish. But in the multitude of counsellors, there is safety. But there were two men, whether they were... Men sixty nine and seventy, or whether they were men seventy one and seventy two, there were two men who didn't come to the tent of meeting, but remained back in the camp. Who also began prophesying. (laughs) A young fellow comes and says, Moses, this is this is kind of the worst. There are folk who are prophesying and they're not surrounding the tent with you. Joshua puts in his tuppence words and says, Moses, you should silence them. This is this is outrageous behaviour. But Moses, so relieved that God has multiplied his ministry, aware of their authorization, for they've also received the Spirit, refuses to silence them. He knows that the Lord can use whomever he wants. Didn't Jesus say much the same in Luke 9? Whoever is not against me is for me. If they're not doing any harm, let them be. Moses just prayed that his ministry would be multiplied. Here's God multiplying. It would be exactly the wrong posture to say, but not that much. Or as Paul says in Philippians 1, as long as Christ is preached, even for false motives, I can rejoice. God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick god can draw a straight line with a crooked stick god can do what he wants even if he has imperfect people to do it with it might be that moses' ministry is multiplied but that doesn't mean that god is not still in control and at the end of our reading Moses has this wonderful prayer, verse 29. Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all God's people were prophets so the Lord will put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. And, of course, Moses' prayer was answered. Joel prophesied a day when God's spirit would be poured out on his people and men and women, young and old, Would prophesy. And Peter on the day of Pentecost sees the answer to Moses' prayer. And Peter, quoting from Joel, says, This is magnificent. Don't don't try and stop this, but rejoice that God is pouring out his spirit and all can prophesy. All can speak timely words, men and women, young and old. Friends, that's where we are in the storyline. We live in a moment, praise God, after he has poured out his spirit on those who trust in the Lord Jesus. And where God pours out his spirit, it's not for me to oversee, to manage. We can rejoice that God is giving to each in this room ministry to do. Of course, ministry, as I've said in this series, is about being guardians of grace. I want us as well to be heroes of holiness. But I also want you to pray that your ministry would be multiplied, that you would pray that God would do mighty things through your own ministry, that others might take up the task and they themselves would train others to do so as well. Years ago, I led to Christ, a guy who's, uh, some of you might have met, his name is Ben Farlett, and he runs the MTS, the Ministry Training uh, Scheme in Sydney. And I think to myself, and if I died today, I could be happy because Ben is multiplying my ministry I rejoice in his work, that many are putting up their hand for Christian leadership through his encouragement. A few years ago I asked a gun mathematician who I know, Jane Churchland, to do some sums for me and this is a piece of paper she wrote with lots of figures on it. I I can't say that I actually understand the numbers But I asked her the question, if I mentor three people this year and next year, each of those three people mentors three people and so on, what's the prospect for mentoring the world? She did the sums. And uh, as I said, you can look at them and test them if you're mathematically gifted. Her conclusion was if I mentor one person, I uh, mentor three people and each of those three people mentors one per, uh, three people the next year and so on, in 50 years, so perhaps within my lifetime, in 50 years, the whole population of the world would be mentored a billion, billion times over. Is that not stunning? Is that not stunning? The power of multiplication. If only we would think of our ministries not just doing something but helping others to do something too. So this is a trick. Whenever you preach or lead a church service or run a youth group activity, unless you're thinking about how you're also training others at that moment, you're creating a bottleneck. You're asking people, do you? be dependent on you. Our job is to be multipliers of ministry for Christ's sake. It wasn't that Moses just wanted to ease his burden. In the end, he wanted to help others enter the promised land. He wanted to help the nations enter their great Sabbath rest to bring many sons and daughters to glory. My prayer for Melbourne and beyond. Amen.